We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yes, what's good, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Veterans Minimum here at the Win Las Vegas in the lovely, delightful Blue Wire Studios. I'm your host, Nick Dayas, at Nick Dayas 10, as you can find me. VeteransMinimum.com is where you can find everything for VM. And my guest today is a guy who I've been interacting with on Twitter for a long, long time. I've been on your show the last couple of times, your first show that you started, and we'll definitely get into that in just a second. But Shane Jackson, what's good, dude? Well, when you started saying lovely and delightful, I thought that you were getting ready to intro me. I was very excited. I was like, man, this is flattering compliments coming from you. This is the first time we met. Uh, but instead, you just kind of defaulted to the original intro, which I, I guess it's fine. I'm doing great. This is great. It's great to be in here. Thanks for having me. I feel like I owed you because you've been on a couple of my shows, so... Hopefully, I'm as good as you are on my shows, or at least half as good as you. Dude, it was funny because the first time that you asked me to come on your show, it was like kind of not last minute. You had given me a heads up, but it was the first time I ever recorded a podcast where I was literally on the run. Mm-hmm. Like I'm walking throughout all of the wind because I had a meeting over here too in the morning and I'm trying to figure out I'm, I'm underneath this like light fixture and the custodian is just cleaning up shit next to me. And I was just like, man, I know this is kind of weird, but I was like, just that's my, that was my backpack on the floor. And I was like, yo, don't worry about it. Like it's, it's all my stuff. I thought it was electric, electric television. Uh, I have friends obviously who, who watch every episode. They, they, they think you're the best guest I've had so far. I mean, it's only been 10 or 11 episodes, so don't be too high of yourself. But yeah, I thought it was electric. <laughs> it was a really fun, really fun show. And I think all your predictions were great. So yeah, so far so good, man. But I do want to mention one thing before we dive into the show. I want to give a shout out to the members of the Patreon. We got Nick Chavez, Christopher Velasquez, Derek Platees, Devin Rendon, Jordan Riley, Nick Crummich, Thomas Robinson, Alex Harden, Mike Wozniak. And we got two new members, David Kawasa and Matthew Rico. Thank you all for your contributions to the Patreon. Shane, the re- reason why I did it now is because oftentimes I do forget and I get heat. It's like, yo, it is one of the perks. And I'm like, yeah, I got to stop being a dick and forgetting how to do that one. Yeah, you got to cover everything at the top that you have to get done. Otherwise, you'll forget. You'll get in the rambling and talking and then you'll just forget it. So I, I agree. 
dude, tell the people a little bit about what your show is about. Because we mentioned me being a guest on your show and they're probably like, what the hell are these kids talking about? Yeah, so I work for Bet Chicago Sports. I'm a content creator for them. And basically the premise of the website is uh, I'm a beat writer essentially that covers sports betting. So we, we my audience is cares about the Chicago teams. So that's the Bulls, the Blackhawks, the Bears, uh, and some of the college teams around that as well. Uh, and I will basically create sports betting content around that and cater to Chicago area teams. Now I will get into the NFC North and the Big Ten and all that. Uh, but I'm a writer first and foremost. Uh, hence why I will not be as much energy to the podcast as maybe you do. Um, but we, we like to do a podcast on the side. We do three shows a week, Monday, Thursday, Friday, and it's basically 20 minutes a day. And I will go live and answer questions or have a guest on and preview, do sports betting, all that stuff. So, but basically the podcast is on the side and I hope that the guests bring more of the uh, analysis from that standpoint. And then I write probably three, four or five articles a day. I'm just cranking out content because that's, that's the game. That's the name of the game at this point. So I'm just writing a bunch of articles and, and that's where you can find all my work is at, at shotlocal.com slash bet. Dude, uh, you couldn't pay me enough to write. <laughs> I can't, uh, writing is not my thing at all. I don't enjoy it. I don't like it. I can, I can barely put tweets together. So for me to have to put out articles and whatnot, I can't do it. But I, I feel better in front of a camera and doing the microphone stuff as opposed to doing the writing. But I do like your work, man, for real, because we've been, we've known each other for about a year now. And it was funny when you first pulled up to the studio, I was like, yo, nice to finally meet you like in person. <laughs> it's always weird to, is it meeting someone in like, cause you have the zoom conversations and being on podcasts. Is that a nice to meet you? Or do you think it's when it's in person? I think you get to know people honestly, maybe better uh, through kind of Twitter and organically social media that way. I, I, I feel like I know a lot of people that I follow and interact with on Twitter more so than I know people I talk to on a decently regular basis, like some of my friends from high school or whatever. Like, you know, I see them a couple times a year, but like, yeah, I, I know people on Twitter uh, extremely well at this point. And I think that for us, that, that's how it was to me. So it didn't even feel like we, we met for the first time today. It feels like we've known each other. Yeah, that's a fact, man. I couldn't agree with you more. And it's funny how you, you had me on your show this week. And I feel like it's a nice segue because you mentioned the Chicago sports scene for you. Giants now three and one. They played the Chicago Bears, which was crazy because someone was going to be three and one after that game. And I'm a huge Giants fan. As you can see, I'm wearing the Victor <laughs> Cruz. This Victor Cruz used to have a clothing line when he caught fire with the Giants. One of the one of my favorite Giant football players of all time. <clears throat> and uh, I think his company was called Young Wills. And it was on fire like that first six months because he dropped it right when the Giants won the Super Bowl. And Dude, that three-year stretch that he had is, honestly, it's like Hall of Fame worthy. Just that three-year stretch, <laughs> you put that up against a lot of people. He's obviously not going to make yeah. the Hall of Fame, but he was a very special player for the Giants. And uh, he actually played for the Bears, too. He got, I think his last team was Chicago in the preseason. He got. I remember he scored like a touchdown. It was after because, dude, one of the reasons why I hate the Eagles is because like his career ended over there. He had that really bad uh, patella tendon I think he blew out. And ever since then, Cruz was not the same. We never really got to see Odell and him. Like, Odell was a rookie that year, too. So we never got to see, like, yo, you got the slot guy. Now you got the guy on the outside. So Chicago and the Giants, I'm wearing this shirt because I don't know how many more Mondays I'm going to be this excited <laughs> about the Giants because they're 3-1, and one, Shane, and I think they might be the worst 3-1 and one team in recent memory. Yeah, I feel like there was a Chiefs team uh, a few years back, and I'm, I'm from that area, so I think I, I, I remember it a little bit. 
that where they started off undefeated and everybody said this was the worst like 7-0 team or whatever, 6-0 team, whatever it was. It was like the the Alex Smith, yeah, early yeah, Alex yeah, Smith. Yeah. Yeah. And so I feel like maybe the Giants aren't that level yet. Maybe mostly because they're not undefeated. But, you know, yes, it does feel like it may be one of the worst 3-1 teams. But, you know, that's the advantage of having a schedule where you you, you get to take advantage of some of those situations. Uh, you, you play the Bears because you finished low in your division. So, no, I, I mean... Oh, you're going to take wins however you want them in the NFL. It's hard to win on a week-to-week basis. Uh, but that game, we, ha- we had to watch it. Or I, I, def- I definitely had to watch it. Uh, but it was not exciting. And I had to rewatch it. And it's not as exciting on the rewatch either. It was, it was an ugly 2012 game, as ugly as the final score would indicate. Uh, and I am not sure what direction either team plans to go. But it's, it, I don't know. It, it's, it's not going to be a good thing. What's the pulse of Chicago fans with Justin Fields in this organization. Yeah, I think you're sensing a little bit more panic than I expected this early on. Uh, it felt like, you know, there was that national narrative uh, going in that they didn't give Justin Fields the best situation and this team was going to be awful, maybe one of the worst teams in the league. And so far, it's proven to be somewhat correct. But the Bears fans, the audience, they were pushing back on that kind of narrative. And now it's kind of come into fruition and suddenly they're panicking on Justin Fields. You know, yesterday he had an exchange with a reporter where he basically, you know, someone asked him why the passing offense isn't working. Uh, and he said, who says it's not working? And the reporter said the stats. And well, Justin Fields responds by saying the stats doesn't matter. And, and they do. Like, Justin Fields has not delivered from a stats standpoint. He's not delivered uh, in, in any standpoint, really. Uh, but I also don't think it's his fault. Mm. No one's put him in the best position. Uh, you know, when Darnell Mooney's your best receiver, you know you're, 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 struggling there. You're thin in that unit. And the offensive line is below average. Uh, and I think conservative play calling is a big pre- reason why they are two and two and the reason why they lost, you know, yesterday's game as well. So I don't know. I, I get, I, I sense the pulse is panicking a little bit, um, but I think you have to give him another year because they're really built for, to, to have a chance in 2023. They have a, a lot more cap space. Uh, they'll have some high draft picks. And I think they're built to be better next year. And then that's when you can really evaluate what Justin Fields brings to the table. Because right now, he does, he's not given the chance to play quarterback. Yeah, it's, it's one of my most passionate takes that I have when it comes to quarterbacks, young quarterbacks in particular. It, it, it's two things, right? It's number one, he needs to have an offensive mind early in the league. Without question. I don't want my rookie quarterback coming in with a defensive-minded head coach. I want a guy that is... Offense first. Eventually, when you become Josh Allen, you become Tom Brady. Rare exceptions, right? It's dime a dozen, if that. Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow. Then it's like, you know what? This, this hot, young defensive coordinator that might become a head coach? Sure, no problem. Because the guy has enough skin in the game now where he doesn't need to be held by the hand, walk through all these practices and these offensive schemes and whatnot. It's that. That's one of my, my takes. And the other one is, Justin Fields in the last five years has gotten the shit end of the stick with the organization that he's with because, like you said, if Darnell Mooney's your number one, right? It's a speedster, undersized guy. Yeah, he could get open, and he made a nice play with the Giants yesterday. I think it was the best game that Mooney had all year so far from a stat standpoint. Absolutely, yeah. And, but you're looking at it, and it's like Cole Komet. At one point, would, would the Bears have like nine tight ends on their roster? That was like the running joke heading yep. into last year. And the offensive line isn't that good. And it's how can you fairly evaluate him? I think the case study should be Tua. Like Tua, a month ago, it was like, mm, what's, what's it going to be with him, right? But what did Miami do? 
first round pick was a wide receiver last year. You get oh, an entirely new running back core. You improve the offensive line to protect them. You get Tyree Kill because you're not paying your quarterback $30, $40 million. Let me go get an elite wide receiver. And you see now Tua is like, yo, could this guy be the MVP? We pumped the brakes a little bit, but <laughs> that's what it should be, right? The Jets, I think they've done a good job by Zach Wilson in the sense of, yo, here's a first round wide receiver. Here's a second round wide receiver. Here's a second round running back. Let's attempt to go get, a, they spent money on Corey Davis. Yeah, that was a dud, but you're not going to hit a home run on everything. I mean, shit, look at the Giants with Kenny Galladay. That's a nightmare. You look at the Giants, right? Stayed in this game. The Giants have done everything right, in my opinion, with providing offensive skill players for Daniel Jones, but he just, he just isn't it, right? Like his best asset is running. Like that's the only reason why the Giants won that game yesterday. Also, it's because they gashed the Bears on the ground. It was like 250-something yards between Barkley and, and Daniel Jones. And it's now you could properly evaluate what the quarterback is when you give him weapons. Joe Burrow was going to be successful because he has T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Boyd, Mixon. It's like, yo, this team is stacked offensively. So to me, it's just not fair for Justin Fields, what's going on with him in Chicago. And you're right. I think you have to be patient with him. But also, it's a fine line, Shane, where you don't want the guy to get to become damaged goods like Josh Rosen or, or David Carr getting sacked and getting beat up. And then eventually, it's like, what am I going to do with this guy? Yeah, and the whole reason why people seem to be more likely to uh, give up on these young quarterbacks is because there's an advantage to having your quarterback on a rookie contract and the way you can build your roster. That is the opportun- op- you know, ideal time to go for it and build a team around that young quarterback is when he's on a rookie contract. And so I think that's why you're seeing teams give up a lot earlier, like the Cardinals going from Josh Rosen to Kyler Murray real quick. Um, but Josh Allen... Is an, is an example of the outlier happening, right? He was bad for two years and then becomes one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Two is the, the best example, right? He was not put in the best position for two years. And then now year three, he's, you know, while he, maybe the numbers are a little bit more amplified than they should be, uh, he is now given a chance to at least see what he's made of. And, and so I think you're right. Two is the ideal situation to compare uh, Justin Fields or, or, or other young rookie quarterbacks or young quarterbacks that come up. Well, yeah, but I think that's what you said right there is what you want, right? The proper evaluation of these guys. If they're playing with a weak roster, it's not fair to them. And then it's also not fair to the organization because what happens if you surround them with a lot of mediocre talent for the most part, and then they do leave and they go to a new situation and they're like, oh, wow, it was us, right? One of my favorite things to do like in the NBA is give me the guy that was a lottery pick. I'll take a chance on them, especially when they get they get released by a team or they don't sign a second contract with a team and they're 22 years old, 23. It's like, yeah, dude, of course these guys are going to act a fool when they're getting paid millions of dollars at 18, 19 years old. Give them a chance to learn everything. Look at Andrew Wiggins with Golden State. Guy went to the right situation finally after all these years, and he was the second best player on their team when they won the championship last year. So uh, I know we kind of like went all over the place, but at its core, it really has to do with it's the, it's the situation and the circumstance that you're being dealt. Like that plays, that's the ultimate, like uh, Pat Mahomes goes to Andy Reid and the Chiefs. Yeah, that right? helps. <laughs> that, that team was in the playoffs year in, year out. Of course he was going to be successful, especially sitting behind a guy like Alex Smith, who, yeah, two completely opposite players, 
But you're going to a team that's successful. And then you have a Kelsey in place. You have a Hill in place. You get Sammy Watkins. It's like, yeah, no, no wonder why he was going to be successful and, and play that well. Uh, what would you think about that game, dude? Now that I just mentioned Mahomes, yeah, I know, I know it, it's it was the night game, but mm-hmm. Kansas City goes into Tampa Bay, revenge on their mind because the last time they went in there, it was a sour feeling for them, something they'll remember for the rest of their lives, losing that Super Bowl. How'd you feel about that game? Yeah, I think last night confirmed that Petty Mahomes may be the best player in the sport. Like, I, I think he already is the best player in the league, but like best player to ever step on a football field type of thing. Like when Patrick Holmes is petty, uh, that's when he's different. It is incredible. When he's got something to prove, when he's the bright lights are on, like, and he, he, he's wants to show something. He's incredible. I mean, that, that touchdown throw to Clyde Edwards Hilaire where he spins a guy and just dumps it over. I, it's just incredible. Like I, I feel like we, we, we've spent too much time discussing who compares to Patrick Mahomes when in reality, like number two is a distant drop off from Patrick Mahomes. And so, yeah, I think that's just what stood out to me. I would say that this it being a Super Bowl re- rematch is a good time to reflect on just how the Chiefs have changed uh, since that Super Bowl. Uh, you know, it, you you mentioned it before, but like the offense line, obviously they revamped the offense line after that Super Bowl because of what he did in, this, in the Super Bowl behind that offense line. But also this past year, they get, they put themselves in a position to have more long term success by trading Tyreek Hill. Uh, and I just think you're seeing the Chiefs realize uh, because of that Super Bowl in a lot of ways that. Hey, we might have the best player in the league, but we have to consistently be a Super Bowl contender by doing other things. And that's scary for the rest of the league. Like, that's not what Aaron Rodgers and the Packers dealt with. Uh, that, that is what Tom Brady and the Patriots dealt with. And so that is terrifying to me. I mean, look, he was on your show. He was my, Super, uh, my MVP pick, Pat Mahomes. And right now he has 11 touchdowns and two interceptions. He is sixth in the NFL in yards. And... You know what's interesting about Mahomes? They showed that graphic yesterday on Sunday Night Football. Uh, he's the fastest to get to 20,000 yards. He beat out Matthew Stafford by, I think it was four or five games. They needed all his yards. And these are, these are winning yards too, right? Like, I, I think sometimes, oftentimes, stats are misleading. Remember Blake Bortles that one year was like the seventh best quarterback in fantasy. <laughs> but every time at halftime, they're down 20 mm-hmm. points. And yeah, it's garbage time Bortles. It was like a real thing in fantasy. So numbers could be misleading, right? I, I always mention how one of the worst awards ever given out was when RG3 won Rookie of the Year that year over Andrew Luck because RG3 threw seven interceptions or six. Andrew Luck threw like 15. It's like, yeah, he also threw the ball 400 more times and his team made the playoffs as well. But it was the expectations of both teams and it was, it was very fun, like the Alfred Morris and and uh, the RG3 offense in Washington, and they exceeded expectations and whatnot. And I think that numbers could be misleading sometimes. But with Pat Mahomes is they needed all those passing yards, and they were winning passing yards too. Like, he's putting up 300 yards a game, not because his team is down and he has to throw from behind. No, they're, put, they're running up the score. And that's what you saw against Tampa. They, the offensive line finally, last year they made all the additions, but now they've all played together for a full year. And you had a lot of rookies. You had two rookies starting last year. Now you have them in year two in this offense. And dude, it really comes down to, I'm telling you, that that's going to be the game that depending on how this Mahomes dynasty ends up or how many more championships they win or Super Bowls they get to, that Super Bowl that they lost to Tampa is going to be the one that they're going to go back to and notice that 
for as much as we love Kelsey and Hill and Watkins and Hardman, if number 15 got to be running for his life, don't matter what we have out there. Yeah, and, and, and it's super terrifying because they always had Andy Reid and Patrick Holmes, and now this might be the best defense that they, they've had in yeah. this roster. Like, And I, I mean, I, don't, I thought there was going to be some growing pains and adjustments with the new receiver core. Uh, and, and maybe there will be still some more to, to come. Like Sky Moore hasn't been as involved up until recently. Um, but it, it's pretty terrifying that it's working this well this quickly uh, because I thought there was always going to be some sort of adjustment period. And honestly, I mean, the game they lost to the Colts, that's a game they should have won. I know right. like I, I ended up betting the Chiefs like probably a lot of other public people did and the Sharps were on the Colts. But even the Sharps would have told you that they probably didn't deserve to win that one. Like that, that felt like a game the Chiefs gave away. Um, so the fact that, you know, we're sitting here and, and talking about how good the Chiefs are already, uh, when I think typically they're going to be at their best later in the year, is is pretty scary for the rest of the league. Well, yeah, I mean, co- covering and winning are two completely different things, right? Like, I think everyone felt that the Colts could maybe keep that close yeah. down. You're 0-2, you're at home, your first home game. It was just a weird spot, but it, a, a lot of professionals, and, and I, I've met these professional betters out here, and so far, dude, they've, they've told me four picks, and they're three for four. <laughs> the only one that they were off on was the Commanders yesterday, but... They told me um, the Patriots plus nine and a half. They told me Seattle plus three and a half. And I was like, I would never bet these games. And then I'm like, ah, it makes sense why. And they were on the Colts last year, uh, last week as well. So I think the interesting thing about Kansas City is they've changed who they are on offense with the running too. Like Pacheco looks like every yep. time he touches a ball, he might never touch it again. Like he's running really hard and, Kind of looks like Tyreek Hill, maybe because of the number. But yeah, at first, I'm always absolutely. like, oh, I do like a, like a double take at first. But they're, they're beating teams underneath. Like, yeah, the offense has changed. We're not seeing those 70-yard bombs. They're not really attempting them much. That's where they miss Tyreek. But they're still productive. And, dude, they hung 40-plus points on Tampa Bay, whose defense has been the best defense in the league. And Mahomes was doing whatever he wanted to them yesterday. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, last year's when the kind of narrative started that teams would try to play too high against the Chiefs and try to like force them into taking the safe routes and, and avoid the deep bombs. And the Chiefs were getting frustrated by that. And now this year, it feels like they're like, okay, we'll take that. Dude, I hate some of those false narratives so much sometimes because, yeah, Tampa Bay was able to do that to Kansas City because they had that pass rush. And they were also playing four different, four new starters on that offensive line. That's why they were able to do that. It's like, if you have the roster, yeah, you could do that. But if you don't, it's going to be hard for you to do the too high safety against the Chiefs and Mahomes. <laughs> Similar to how back in the day it was like, yeah, just get four people to create pressure like the Giants do uh, when they won these Super Bowls. It's like, yeah, well, only the Giants can get away with that. So. Yeah. Well, the same <laughs> thing in the NBA, right? Everyone wants to shoot threes. It's like, oh, Golden State does it. It's like, yeah, no shit. They got the two best shooters ever on the yeah. same team in their prime. Like, obviously, they're going to be able to do that. <laughs> like, yeah, no kidding. It's just weird sometimes, man. Some of these these narratives that get painted, it's just, it's just comedy to me. Uh, speaking of which, one thing that I found really interesting is uh, what do you make of the Lions, man? Because of like the hard knocks, right? Hard knocks, they were the darling team, the narrative of them and, you know, the, the bite, the kneecaps with Dan Campbell and this young roster and whatnot. And maybe they can make the playoffs. Dude, they're one in three. Might be the funnest team in the league to watch. Absolutely. I never would have guessed that a Seahawks-Lions game would be the game of the weekend. Yeah. So, you know, obviously I made a lot of bad 
preseason predictions. But w- the one that I think I nailed was, you know, I wrote up the NFC North and I said, hey, here's how you're going to bet on each team uh, in the NFC North because I have an audience that cares about the NFC North. And I said, you're going to want to bet the over on the Lions games because they have a lot of fun, exciting offensive pieces, but also they still have the worst ranked defense in the entire league and they made no changes to improve it. Like they obviously drafted Aiden Hutchinson, but they were really counting on health to be a major benefactor to that defense. Uh, And, you know, it's coming to fruition. The overs hit four times in four games. Uh, but I think one of the more interesting things to me is that it hasn't mattered who has been there. Like, yeah. this is the second game in a row where they've had a lot of cluster injuries, and those are typically, like, damning. Uh, and they still scored a bunch of points. I mean, we had Jamal Williams score two touchdowns. TJ Hawkinson unleashed for two touchdowns yesterday. I mean, the Lions, just no matter who is out there, no matter if their offensive line is full strength or not, like, they are scoring and they are moving the ball. And it's very exciting. It, it was one of the things that I... I found frustrating all offseason because I understood the hype around the Lions. They were the most popular over win total. And I was betting against that. I was like, this is crazy. They're still terrible on defense. Like, I understand why you want to be excited about them, but they are still a one year away from being a, con- a contender, right? Or being competitive. Uh, they still have Jared Goff. Like, it, it, there was a lot of, you know, factors in there. But I think, I mean, they're, they're losing the right way. Like, they are... They are showing a lot of grit, I guess is what you can call it, and a lot of fight with Dan Campbell coaching them. And their offense is a lot to be desired. It's good for uh, fan, fantasy players, obviously. I, I don't know. I'm just I'm excited to watch Lions games, uh, and I'm, I'm just happy that it kind of it's come into clear picture that this is an over team. This is a team you want to bet on, uh, but they still might be a year away from actually being competitive because that defense is still a liability. Yeah, they're very young still, and they're making a lot of like young mistakes and. No St. Brown, no DJ Chark, no DeAndre Swift. 378 in the air, four touchdowns for Jerry Goff. I mean, Hawkinson was, this is finally the Hawkinson that everyone has been. I think he's had this game and then like week one of his rookie year where he came out and scored two touchdowns. Outside of that, he's been, yeah, he's been all right. But now yesterday was, dude was, what was he, prime Gronk? (laughs) Built like Travis Kelsey also was just the craziest thing. Seattle though. Seattle two and two. And I'm going to tie two things into this one. I want to talk about the Seattle aspect and then the Denver aspect of it. Because born and raised in New York, I have a lot of friends that are Jeff fans. And they were throwing a parade when they fleeced them with Jamal Adams, right? Like you're giving up all that for a safety. That was a, that was a layup to make that move for the Jets. They turn that disaster and getting fleeced into fleecing Denver. Because even though Russ is an upgrade from what they had, they gave up a lot to get him. And had to pay him. Yeah. And they had to pay him. But Seattle had to make that move. And if you're Seattle right now, this is what you wanted. You're in a rebuild, but you're competitive also. And NFC is pretty bad. I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs, but they could be playing some meaningful football post-Thanksgiving, which as a Giants fan all these years, that's all I ever wanted. I didn't want October 1st, my season, to be over which is nice now for both New York teams. If you think about it, the Jets and the Giants, it's like, oh, all right. At least it's fun. The stadium is going to be lively. You know, one of the reasons why I was on the Giants beating the Cowboys on Monday Night Football was because I know all these years, the Giants and the Cowboys, when they're playing each other in MetLife, it's always when the Giants are 1-9 and nine and Dallas is 7-3 and three competing for the one seed and all the Giants season ticket holders are selling their tickets on secondary markets to Cowboys fans. And then it's 70% Cowboy fans in there. But now there's optimism with the Jets and the Giants a little bit, even though maybe a month from now might be a different conversation. 
But I think if you're Seattle, this is what you want. You still got Metcalf. You still got Lockett. Shot Penny's on fire also. You got some young guys on defense, maybe because the expectations were so low. Is it fair to say they're overachieving? Yeah. I, I mean, the expectations were low. I thought when, you know, when I did my power ratings, I, I had the Seahawks as probably 31 or 30 to start the year. I was like, this team could be number one pick worthy. I, I just thought they were going to be bad. Uh, I, I was on their under for the win total. And they've exceeded expectations in a big way. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that was one of the first teams I, I've kind of moved up, them and the Falcons, I would say, uh, in the sense that, yeah, they're bad, but maybe they're kind of better of the bad teams type of thing. Uh, and, yeah, I think that shows promise for going down the road uh, because, you know, you still have a couple of good receivers. They drafted pretty well this past draft, the Seahawks did. Uh, and Kenneth Walker was someone they picked in that draft as well. So I assume they see him as their long-term picture as well. So once you figure out maybe the quarterback position, who your long-term answer is there, like maybe suddenly this is, they, they bounce back in a hurry. Like this isn't a long rebuild. This is a short rebuild. Yeah. Yeah, man. Denver on the flip side with what they got in Russ, they, they just look weird, dude. They're two and two. I feel like they're zero and four, just the way everyone talks about them. And yesterday against the Raiders, that was gut check time for the Raiders too. I love that spot that they were in. They had to win that game or else their season was completely tanked. You don't want to be 0-4, especially in the AFC. But the thing that was interesting about the Raiders is they unleashed Josh Jacobs. And it was funny because shouts to Antoine in the control room. <laughs> Last week, I, a couple of weeks ago, I called him mid. Mm -hmm. And he was like, nah, dude, he's... He's legit. Yeah, yeah he's legit. I, but it's like he's probably the weakest point on their offense, I would say. If you were looking at the tight ends, the receivers, and then the running game. But then yesterday, he has a career day, and he just goes ballistic. And it seemed like Denver couldn't do anything on the ground to try to stop him. And then on the flip side, defensively for Denver, he's becoming my favorite player to watch is Patrick Sutan. He was – him and Adams going at it was really, really fun, man. They were – one was getting the better of the other, and then coming back, it was the other way around. That was, it's nice to actually watch games. Like, there was only three games in the afternoon window, and I had three monitors, so I was watching each game individually, and you understand certain things that you miss on, like, Red Zone. And that was one of the things that it was nice to really highlight and to spotlight, because you really see, like, how good Sertan really is, and obviously we know about Adams. Yeah, I had a lot of money on the Cardinals, so I was more focused on that game. But yes, I do agree with the sentiment that like I, I try to rewatch all these games on Monday or Tuesday and get a better feel of what happened because you do miss a whole lot you on miss Red Zone. So much, yeah. dude. You don't get the game script at all. You don't understand the, the flow of the game at all. But in terms of what the Broncos, I'm curious what your thoughts of this. But here's what I'm thinking without rewatching the Broncos Raiders game yet. I think the Broncos are set up similarly to how the Rams were last year. Like, there's going to be a buy-low opportunity on this team. I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl by any means. Uh, but I think there's going to be a buy-low opportunity on this team because the Broncos were the only team that came in with a new coach, a new quarterback, a new play caller coming in. So there was always going to be growing pains at the beginning of the season. And it feels like every single game, I'm like, how did the Broncos not win this game? Like, every time I've watched the game, I'm like, I feel like the Broncos should have won. Like yesterday's game against the Raiders, that fumble six completely swings the momentum of the game, the win expect expectancy, all that stuff. And so I just feel like at some point it's going to click. Maybe Russell Wilson is, is bad now and that it, all this will be mute because like there, there's no way they can be good if Russell Wilson is bad. But I, I just don't think he is, right? I think 
maybe he wasn't maybe worth the trade that they they sent his way. Maybe he wasn't worth the money, but like I don't think he's bad this year. And so at some point, I think it's going to click all at one point. And I think they're going to be, be a buy low team at some point. Well, you also got to mention that it's the first time that was the first time coming into a season that a team hired a new head coach, got the new quarterback, like you mentioned, and also their coordinators are first-year coordinators Absolutely. too. So, yeah, you're right. It could be. It could be. The thing that worries me about them is their division. Like, the Absolutely. last six games for them is they got the Chargers twice, they got the Chiefs twice. There's a Bengals game in there. It's like, that's where you really want to be playing your best football. But from an odds perspective and, like, finding value, like, yeah, this could be— their odds are not what they were coming into the year, and they've weathered the storm. Like I, like I was saying before when we introduced this conversation, I feel like Denver's 0-4 the way everyone is slandering them, and Absolutely. they're 2-2. Yeah. And they play the Colts on Thursday. Worried about the Colts? I'm not personally. So there's a chance where they might be 3-2 and going into this like mini bye week, and then a lot can happen. So you're right. Russ can't play any worse. Like I think this is the worst that Russ is going to play. Working in with all these new guys, Judy got hurt a little bit. Sutton got hurt, came back. They lose Williams. Yeah. Which, absolutely. dude, that blows, man, because I was waiting. I was waiting for them to like cut the cord on uh, Melvin Gordon. It also seemed like he was cutting the cord on himself because <laughs> dude is just fumbling three times a game, it seems like. Like he's trying his best to cost them the game. And then now they lose Williams, so they're going to have to rely on Melvin Gordon. Well, you're right, man. I wonder what happens with Gregory because he got hurt yesterday. I, I didn't see anything yet at the time that we're recording on any news or updates, but I know they ruled out Javante Williams' torn ACL. He's out for the year. And the buy low, I agree with you on that. I, I think it could be something to definitely monitor. Like the, the team that I was looking at to monitor is, is Cleveland. They get Watson back for, you know, I'm talking about strictly from a football standpoint. They come in as a six or a seven seed, man. That's going to be a dangerous roster because they have a lot of playmakers on that team. Like Nick Chubb, we're going to get to Nick Chubb in just a little bit, but Nick Chubb is balling. You got Amari Cooper, Peoples-Jones makes plays, and Joku is, is making plays too. They have a really solid offensive line. And then you add the dynamic of Deshaun Watson in there. When he comes back, if they're floating around being a playoff team, I think that's a team that you definitely want to keep your eyes on from, from the betting markets. Yeah, and... Brissett's been better than expected, but you, you you saw yesterday in that Falcons game. I mean, he cost them. Like on that last drive, he 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 takes a sack when he cannot take a sack because they yeah. were about one or two yards away from field goal range. Uh, you know that rookie kicker hit a hit a game winning field goal in week one. Like who knows what his his range was, but I think York would have hit a, a, another one there and maybe tied the game up. So yeah, it was one of those situations where Brissett doesn't always have the awareness. Uh, I think he threw it away on fourth down in the red zone at one point. So. I do, I do agree. There's going to be a, there's probably going to be a buy low opportunity. That was a game they probably should have won, uh, and now they're sitting at two and two. But you know they had a manageable front loaded schedule, and then Watson comes back, and it's going to be well, you know marquee game after marquee game because they they have a you know pretty back loaded schedule. Yeah, for sure. And he comes back against Houston also, which people were really outraged about, it. and rightfully so, right? Like you tell them you're going to come back, and that's going to be the first game that's clearly just trying to grab a number and grab a rating. I don't know if it's because I bet them at plus six and a half and I was on the Jaguars winning that game outright. But, dude, am, am I being biased saying that that's an, that's an all-time bad beat? I think that's an all-time bad beat. That was tough. Like, the Jaguars jump out to a huge lead. Uh, I, I don't know. It feels like 
They ruined my, my weekend. <laughs> they did. They blew up a couple parlays. I had them in my contest. I got them at plus seven at the time. Because mm -hmm. like I lock in my picks early in the week. Of course, the yeah. first number that comes out. And then you're able to adjust until the line like locks. Until the games lock. And dude, five turnovers. They lost all five. Uh, and even at the end, the, Philly doesn't kick the field goal, which I found rather interesting there. They go for it. And then I'm like, oh my God, they might backdoor this. Uh, and then literally the next play, strip fumble, and they lose the ball. And I'm like, dude, what is going on? You jump out to a 14 nothing lead. Philly looks all sorts of off. And then it's like, oh, dude, now I have like 20 and a half point cushion. And they just ran through it, dude. Yeah, there might be something to uh, Trevor Lawrence and, and conditions like that yesterday where it was, you know, obviously wet. Uh, because I think he had a pretty human game at Clemson in like the ACC championship uh, one of his last couple years there. So that might be worth looking into at future points if Trevor Lawrence is playing in the rain again. Because you're right. That was, I mean, that, honestly, that was the story of the game for, yeah. for the Jaguars. Like it felt like, hey, they got a lot of momentum. They're, they're up on the best team in the league. Like, uh, let, let, let's go, you know, and you have a lot of points to work with. And then, yeah, the Eagles, they storm back. And uh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of it had to do with weather. Obviously, I think the Eagles deserve a ton of credit. They're a wagon and it's only going to get easier for them. Yeah, they're favored in all but two games the rest of the way. They're they're interesting, man. And it's it's a the thing about Philly, and look, even Jacksonville benefited from the weather too, because I think the interception that got picked off was kind of a, a weather, wacky weather kind of play. And Philly, though, that was the kind of game that they needed to play also because they were down, they had to come back, and they weren't able to do all the running stuff that they wanted to. Yeah, they stayed true to that. But Miles Sanders got going. He was a guy that I was, I mean, I've been high on him every year. So like finally it paid <laughs> off where I was right. But he's, he's playing really well. AJ Brown, I'll stand by it. The best addition any team made. Even more so than Tyreek Hill going Tyree, yeah. to, to Miami. I think what he did for this offense. I mean, they're talking about Jalen Hurts being an MVP. And I, I, I think that's ridiculous, honestly, because he's throwing four touchdowns in four games. Yeah, he's doing it on the ground and whatnot. I get that, but. You're going to have to throw like north of 30 touchdowns if you want to compete with some of these guys that are going to throw. Mahomes is on pace for 40, right? Allen is on pace for 40. You're not going to win the MVP throwing 22 touchdowns. You're just not. When these guys are going to throw maybe double that. So Hurts, I think, is going to be really interesting watching him the rest of the way. And so is this team, man. Like this team, there's, I don't think they're going to lose until about like week nine, week 10. When they got to play, they play Green Bay. That's the only game that right now it's a pick them. But who knows what the updated lines are going to be, the look-ahead lines are going to be on that now with how Green Bay was over the weekend. Yeah, I like your point about that was a game that we had to see from the Eagles, though, because I felt like that was a narrative about the Ravens during Lamar's MVP season. Yeah. Because they were always in, in control. They were always in the lead, and it's like they got to control the game. Uh, and it was always. And it felt like we were already getting a little bit of that discussion around the Eagles and Jalen Hurts as well this year, uh, and then you quickly erase it. And now I think, again, weather played a part in that, but – Knowing that they have that that tool in their their toolbox, I think that that's pretty telling about where this team is and where it's going. Dude, I love that you mentioned Lamar and the Ravens because that was going to be the last game that I was going to mention. And one of the big talking points that I have for this, and the thing that I'd be very concerned about if I'm a Ravens backer or a Ravens fan. Well, you're talking to one, so. What's going on with them blowing <laughs> these leads? Yeah. Because isn't that… Wasn't the makeup of the Ravens and the way to beat the Ravens is you jump out on a lead on them, right? And then you got to get Lamar to throw from behind. I think he has only one double-digit comeback win in his career 
in which he's trailing by double digits. But that's the team that you don't want to play when they're up two, three scores. And now this is twice in three weeks that they just can't hold the lead. And that's literally the team that you don't want to have a lead because Lamar could do all his RPO shit and he could keep it on the ground. Dobbins came back yesterday. It looked like he gave him a little spark. And then they could still hit you over the top. Like, I like Bateman. I think Bateman's had some great strides. We know about Mark Andrews, a premier tight end in the league. And that's a team that if they do jump out to a lead, you're kind of screwed. You're not going to beat them. And now it's two times. And guess what, dude? Both of them at home. Yeah. So you can't tell me that, ah, it's a road game and it's a trap, but it's like, what's going on in Baltimore? Yeah, I'm choosing not to push the panic button just yet. I, I feel like we won't get a, an accurate picture of this team until those guys that are coming back from injury are getting their legs under them a little bit. Like, I'm not I'm not throwing, like, a, you know, panic button right just yet. It is a little bit concerning, obviously. You go back and watch that Dolphins game, uh, and Marcus Williams had a chance for his third interception uh, in that game, and he drops it right in his hands. Uh, next play, touchdown to Tyreek Hill, cuts it to one score. Otherwise, that game is probably over. La- you know, yesterday against the Bills, Patrick Queen has a touchdown or an interception that falls right into his chest that he drops. Otherwise, that game might be over. And, and you know, obviously, Ravens didn't get some of the calls that went against them either uh, on Sunday. So I'm choosing not to pan- panic just yet. They're two and two. Uh, you're losing to two teams that are reasonable to lose to. It's, it'll be tough to argue that if it happens again. Especially, I mean, I feel like the way the Bengals just throttled the Ravens last year. Like, if you're not coming out with some sort of like energy and, and swagger in this matchup on Sunday Night Football, like I, I feel like that is very concerning to me. So I, it'll be interesting to see how they respond a, into this game, and that's when I'll be a little bit alarmed. But right now, I mean, they're still they still have Ronnie Stanley. They're on the fourth string left tackle. You know, guys are just coming back, like you mentioned, Dobbins as well. So Lamar being maybe one of the best players in the league right now is the only reason why they, they have looked as good as they have looked. Um, otherwise, I think they have some issues at their core, but they're still kind of figuring it out. And, and they were always going to be a team that was kind of slow to start the season and while guys were getting healthy and maybe better in December. I mean, looking ahead to this week, I already bet the Ravens minus oh, three. Really? Yeah, okay. I took that early. Yeah, yeah I've, been, I've been pretty good at betting games early in the week. Like Minnesota... I bet them on Tuesday last week at minus two and a half. Mm-hmm. Game ends at with a field goal. A lot of people took it at plus four, uh, minus four, excuse me, minus three and a half. It's like, man, betting, when you bet a number might be more important than actually making the bet. Yeah, I think it was- Like you, the side that you're on. Yeah, I think you were the first one I heard say this on your last podcast on upsets and underdogs, but you said bet numbers, not teams. You were one of the first people. That's, I that's remember, my yeah. number, my yeah. number one rule when people ask me about sports betting advice. Yeah. It's like, yo, bet numbers, bet numbers, not teams. And obviously I've now heard it a bunch of times since, but I, I just vividly remember you were the, one of the first ones to say that. And a lot of times it comes down to the number, right? Uh, and so, yeah, betting earlier in the week, you get the better of the number. You're ahead of the market a little bit. And so, yeah, I agree. That's one of the biggest pieces of advice I have is, is yeah, let's bet. I'm going to bet Tuesday. I'm going to bet, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But after that, I'm probably not betting. Like if I'm yeah. betting on Sunday, it's a problem. And that's it. Dude, the amount of conversations that I've had with people that are now getting into the sports betting space and they'll be like, oh, your bills are going to blow them out. It's like, no, I like, I like Miami plus six at home against Buffalo. No, nah, no, nah, they're going to blow them out. It's like, why? Ah, yo, you saw what they did on primetime. It's like, ah, I love it. That's exactly what I want to hear, right? And I was telling to a buddy of mine 
Because I, I put in my group chat, I'm like, damn it, man. I can't believe I lost this Jaguars bet. He's like, Philly was a lock. I was like, no, they weren't. <laughs> I was like, dude, knowing what I know now, if you were to tell me they're going to play again, six and a half point line, no, even with the turnovers, knowing about the turnovers, like, yeah, the Jaguars to me were the right side in that. Are you a UFC fan? Much of a UFC fan? Uh, no, I, I watch UFC. I know nothing about UFC, but I do see when you tweet out picks, I'm like, okay, I'm going to bet that. I, so, that's my knowledge of UFC. Well, th thank you for putting yeah. me over with that. Yeah, we, we have been crushing the UFC, but there was a fight, right? Talia Santos was fighting Valentina Shevchenko and Shevchenko in her weight class, like they literally made that flyweight division for her. She's undefeated. She's, I, I think she's the best woman's fighter of all time. That, that, not here or there is for a different, different podcast. But in her last outing, she's fighting this girl, Talia Santos. She was a five to one underdog. And my friend and I were like, dude, this is her toughest matchup yet, Valentina's. We got to bet the other girl. Like, I, I think Valentina's going to finish her. But from a number standpoint, five to one on her, we're going to make the bet. And guess what? She lost on a split decision, which means one judge thought she won the fight. At five to one, I'm making that bet every time, even if I lose it. And to some people, like, it's weird for them to hear that. Like, why are you going to make a bet that you're going to lose? It's like, yeah, but the number was wrong. And it came down to at one point during that fight, she was a favorite. The Jaguars catching six and a half points on the road. It's like, dude, they had five turnovers. That's the biggest factor in picking games is turnovers. If you knew how many turnovers a team would have, you'd probably pick like 75, 80%. But it's so volatile and you can't account for that week in, week out. So uh, I love that you mentioned that about the betting numbers and not teams. It's like when you make these bets, when you make these decisions is very important because the, the London game was the prime example. People yeah. just losing their minds over that. Like, oh my God, Vegas knows. It's like, well, they didn't early in the week. You're just waiting. Absolutely. I, I'd stayed away from the London game. I think we picked Vikings and the Circa Millions. But uh, other than that, I, I stayed away from the, the London game. Uh, but yeah, it, it was definitely, that was a good example of it and uh, probably a, a good, you know, example to use for people who are new to sports betting. The last thing I want to talk about week four before we do some quarterly awards, mm -hmm. staying with this Ravens game, the fourth down call. What were your thoughts? Yeah, so I've already alluded to that I am a Ravens fan. Uh, and if you are surprised by that call, you have not been watching the Ravens for the last three years. Like, this is who they are at this point. Ever since Lamar Jackson has been taking the reins over this offense, this is a team that is maximizing whatever advantage it feels like it has. It is taking the risk that it feels like it has. During his MVP season, they were crazy efficient on fourth down because of it. And they won a lot of games because of it. Then they, you know, fourth downs didn't go their way in the playoff game and they lost. Like, that's the variance you deal with. But they feel like, when they take chances like that, they're giving themselves a 2 to 5% edge of winning that game. Uh, and so, yeah, I didn't have a problem with that call I or the decision at all. I think if you watch back that play, Lamar feels like he may have missed that running back he put out in motion. He could have hit him on the flat right away rather than drifting off the right and throwing in the corner of the end zone. I also think that like the way they approached the series before that uh, was a difference. Like They didn't run QB power or QB sneak at all in the plays leading up to that when they were right there at the goal line. And so, no, I, the way I have watched the Ravens, like, this doesn't surprise me. I am not baffled by the call. They did this with Tyler Huntley last year. Like, mm -hmm. you, you, you just, you haven't been watching if you're, you're still complaining about the decisions that the Ravens make. And there was a lot of coaching decisions that were very questionable on Sunday. That was not one of them. No, I, told, I couldn't agree with you more. And again, you have an elite guy who's playing at an elite level right now. I go for it every time. I've talked about it so many times about 
Aaron Rodgers has four playoff losses in which he ties the game or sends it to overtime. Ties the game in the fourth quarter or sends it to overtime, and then he doesn't touch the ball. It's like, dude, that's a loss on him. He's got to do two Hail Marys to Jeff Janis in a playoff game, and then they don't touch the ball. Like, go for two. I'm so for it. I love that the Giants did that in week one against the Titans, right? And also on the flip side, add more context to this. You're going up against Josh Allen in the Bills. Like that's a that's an elite offense. Yeah, put pressure on them. Make them have to go and score a touchdown as opposed to settling for a field goal. Obviously, it didn't work out, but I'm not one of these guys that, oh, they should have, they shouldn't have done that. It's like, nah, man, I, I want you to go for it. Especially if you feel like you have momentum or, or you have a play call that you think you can get an upper hand on. Like you said, two to five point advantage, uh, percent advantage. Like, why not, man? In everything, in sports and sports betting, you want to try to find an edge. And if you feel like you have one, you got to you gotta take advantage of it at all times. And I have no problems with that call. I know it's a hot debate. Yeah. And then even uh, John Harbaugh after the game was like, dude, it changes the pressure on our defense, knowing that the other team has to score a touchdown if we get it. And then also is Josh Allen on the other side. Like, it's... Yeah. If you're going to do the hindsight analysis on Monday and, and question the call, then you have to acknowledge the fact that the Bills just waltzed back up on the field and had a chance to score a touchdown. Like, you can't do hindsight analysis and then ignore that fact. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, it, context always changes, right? If, you, if you're playing the Bills, you're more likely to do that as well than may, versus maybe the Jets or the Giants. Uh, but still, like, I, I don't disagree with the call. I, I think even, you know, as you mentioned, Harbaugh kind of, alluded to in his answer, but like if once you go for it and you miss, they're supposed to be on the two or three yard line. Like if they don't throw an interception in the end zone, like, right. Yeah. Well, that's a good call. That's and so true. like, then you're trusting your defense even more in the red zone. So yeah, I just, I, I yeah. also Lamar Jackson's only thrown two red zone interceptions in his entire career. And they're both against the bills and what was ended up being game changing plays. So uh, just a little factoid there, but yeah, I, I just, I think if you're, if you are still not sure about why the Ravens did what they did. Like you just haven't been paying attention because we did this like six times last year. So I don't know. Yeah. I love that one video when Harbaugh yells at Lamar. He's like, yo, Lamar, you want to go for yeah. it? He's like, let's go coach. Yeah. No it's one like, complains yeah. about that. Do they? Yeah. 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 So it, it, I, don't, I don't like doing that. Like criticizing it after like, I'm for it, man. If you want to, you want a chance to win. That's what it's all about. Go for it. By, by all means. I, I do hate when they run, two-point conversions or, or goal line plays and it's like the sprint out to the mm -hmm. short side of the field. It's like, all right, maybe not do that like that because then it limits like your entire offense. But for the most part, I'm all, I, I have no issues with you going for it. Let's give out some awards. Quarter of the season. I know there's still a Monday Night Football game tonight, but give me your surprise team. Now, the surprise team could be good or bad depending on how you want to dish it out. I also want to add that when I do these kind of segments or these talking points, I really like to reiterate that I base these off what my expectations were personally heading into the year. So, for example, a lot of people's surprise team might be Philly. Not to me. I had them winning the NFC. So I just wanted to add a little bit of context before you tell me what your surprise team is. Yeah, and I echo that sentiment because I also picked the Jags to win the AFC South, so they're not my surprise team, even though they're two and two and leaders of the AFC South. And I also was on the Eagles, you know, pretty early in the summer, got a pretty good position on them to win the AFC East. So I was not uh, picking them either, although they've been a lot more dominant than I expected. 
Uh, so my team is actually the Miami Dolphins. And the reason why is because I had them as like a fringe playoff contender in a very tough AFC. I was like, yeah, they'll, they'll maybe be fighting for the seven seed on week 16, but will they really have a chance? I don't know. Um, but now it's gone from that to like, I think this team is legit uh, with a healthy Tua, obviously. But Mike McDaniel is doing something like incredible stuff with this team. They're doing a lot of motion, a lot of play action. And like you said earlier, like they're putting Tua in the best position. They're getting, letting him get the ball out to his talented playmakers, a lot like what he did in Alabama, you know, when he, he was a Heisman contender. Uh, he would just, hey, throw those balls over the middle. Let's let guys go make plays after the catch. And that's what's happening with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Uh, and so I, I think the Dolphins are surprised because honestly, I think they should have beaten the Bengals. Like I, I, I bet the Bengals in that game. Uh, and I think with a healthy Tua, they win that game. And so you're looking at a 4-0 team, a team that's leading the AFC East and all of a sudden has a decent track to like a number one and number two seed. So with that said, I, I know they have a backloaded schedule, but I think the Dolphins have come out firing out of the gates early. And I, regardless of whether it's Tua or Teddy right away, I think they're going to be in a good position because of who is leading the way. And it's it's Mike Daniel. For sure, man. And I think if you're a Niners fan, you're probably missing him right yeah. about now because that team just, maybe he was a brainchild. Like, I know Kyle Shanahan gets all the praise, and rightfully so. He's an elite offensive mind. But Mike McDaniel has really changed that entire culture down in Miami. And I think he's he's a guy who we'll get to in just a second. But to me, my surprise team, dude, shouts to my guy, Allen, the Atlanta Falcons, man. Let's go. Alan, my, my co-host on Wednesday, so he'll be on later this week. But I've been texting him like, yo, how you feeling about Atlanta? Because, you know, it's been pretty quiet down there, even like with Matt Ryan. But Mariota's making plays. I know Patterson now is going to be on IR. He's out three to four weeks, but he's going to be, he's a dude that's really fun. And Drake London has been a baller. Kyle Pitts, we're just waiting for him to have, you know, the unicorn season that everyone was talking about. And dude, they're, they're exciting, man. They're 4-0 against the spread, the only team in the league with that kind of record. And if it's not for that week one game against the Saints where Mariota fumbles and then they end up losing that game, they came storming back against the Rams. Like, I know everyone that had the Rams minus 10 were cashing that ticket at halftime. And then Atlanta comes back, has a chance to win it if it's not for Ramsey making that interception at the goal line. And then you go into Seattle, still a tough place to play because there's still optimism in Seattle. And they were coming off the, 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 you know, the big win on Monday Night Football and whatnot. So I, I think Atlanta being two and two, man. And lastly, I don't think that NFC South is as... It was like Tampa Bay was, what, minus 400 to win the division? Mm -hmm. They're not looking like a minus 400 team. No, not at all. I th yeah, it was always interesting the, how much of a favorite Tampa Bay was compared to the rest of the division. I, now, I thought Saints had a chance to make some noise and, and put some pressure on them. Uh, but that has not been the case, obviously. I, last week, I thought the Falcons were the best of the bad teams. Uh, and I was like, well, okay, I, I'm, I'm moving them up in my power ratings. I'm going to like look for opportunities to back them. But then I still bet Cleveland on Sunday. Had a lot of money on the Browns to win, win outright, all that. Uh, and obviously, that didn't work out. And so now I'm thinking about, I'm going to have to watch back, that game back and think, should I move up the Falcons even more to above, you know, kind of the bad team threshold? Because... Like you said, like they just keep printing money for betters. And, uh, you know, if you're if you're late to the party, that's when you start losing. Yeah. Oh, dude, man, I was on. I, I thought the Browns were going to win that game. But Nick Chubb, I bet Nick Chubb to have three touchdowns. It was like 20 to one. <laughs> but I also bet him to score a touchdown at any time. That hit. 
And then he gets stuffed three times at the one yard line. I'm like, are you kidding me? Can you not give me that plus 450 for a second touchdown? I was like, damn it. Again at the, I had a couple of bad ones yesterday, dude. I had the Steelers defense anytime at a seven to one and Minka steps out at the two yard line. I'm like, you gotta be shitting me, man. Unbelievable. But you know, that's the game that we play. <laughs> uh, biggest letdown. This could be a team or a player. What would you say is your biggest letdown so far? So I don't know if we're going to have the same answer here because we didn't really talk about this, but I think the obvious answer is the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, they have not won the AFC South since 2014. And this felt like the year, if there was ever going to be a year for this team to do it, it was this year. Uh, they were the favorites coming in. They did their latest QB carousel and they got Matt Ryan. And everyone felt like that was an upgrade from Carson Wentz. And rightfully so. Uh, I think there were warning signs with Matt Ryan a little bit last year. He was, you know, he was ranked 17th among quarterbacks on Pro Football Focus, which was his lowest ranking since 2009. So, like, there was a chance that he was trending in the wrong direction. But even that was somewhat of an upgrade against Carson Wentz. And you thought, hey, maybe a better situation that'll maximize Matt Ryan. That has not been the case. Uh, they dominated from a yards per play perspective in, in week one, but they still ended up with a tie with the Texans. Uh, they won a game against the Chiefs that I don't think they deserve to win. Uh, and it's just been bad. I, I, I And there's no real signs of life. And I don't really know what the whole reasoning is. Like, I understand they're a little bit banged up. Uh, but almost everyone is at this point already. Uh, and Jonathan Taylor has just been bottled up like crazy. Uh, but I think the root of their problems is Matt Ryan. And that is never a good sign when it's your quarterback that you've been changing year in and year out. And this guy just isn't working. Uh, and so I'm starting to be concerned if I'm a Colts fan or a Colts uh, backer. Yeah, it's interesting with the Colts, man. They're, I felt the same way. I picked them to win the division. And I did say I agreed with you on the Jaguars. Like, I thought the Jaguars line was a little mispriced. Like, the only way that they could make the playoffs would be to win the AFC South. So back home, you could find them at like plus 800 to win the South. It was a way better bet than betting them to win to make the playoffs. Because you got to figure, like, the AFC is so stacked, the only way they can actually get in is by winning the division. Absolutely. So I always felt like that was, like, the wrong approach. But, yeah, the Colts, the Colts, it's funny because mine, to me, is my surprise is just how bad Carson Wentz is. Yeah. And it ties into the Colts a little bit because the Colts, he was their quarterback last year. And, you know, Frank Wright, I don't want to say he's on the hot seat, but it's starting to get a little warm. And he starts off September, year in, year out, just bad. But to defend him a little bit, he's had a new quarterback every time he's been there. Like from day one, it's just been a new guy in there. And you get rid of Carson Wentz, you bring in Matt Ryan, and it's supposed to be an upgrade. And it's kind of the same or worse. But then on the flip side with Carson Wentz, he just looks. This, this is going to be the last year he's in the NFL. That's how like bad he looks. Yeah, I, I I was getting in trouble because I kept betting on the commanders. Uh, I, you know, it worked in week one, and then I was on them on week two and week three. did not work out. Uh, but it felt like Carson Wentz was okay in week one, and then it just fell out. Like, he has been awful ever since. Uh, and so I made a rule after week three. I was like, I am done betting the commanders. If I bet again, someone take my accounts from me. Like, I will, I will just, I will stop betting. And so I know there was sharp money on the commanders last week, this last week, but I was like, no, I'm not doing it. I well, don't care what the number of, says. Yeah. That was one of the three yeah. games that those guys told me. They're like, look, it's Seattle plus three and a half, the commanders plus three, and the Patriots plus nine and a half. And they're coming off a week where they told me that the Colts were live for the upset and to take them in plus five and a half. 
And I was like, oh, interesting. And then, you know, the day starts with the, with the Lions uh, not covering. Like, the Seahawks had that game covered by halftime. Like, you knew that it would have to be an all-time bad beat for them not to cover that three and a half. And then you look at the commanders. Like, the commanders, like, I get it, man. The, the numbers coming in and numbers moving and the lines. But sometimes it's like, yo, Carson Wentz is just not good. And neither is that offensive line. And they got some playmakers that I like, which is really upsetting. If he was on a team where he had no talent around them, I'd be like, you know what, man? I'm going to defend it. But I've always been a Terry McLaurin guy. Curtis Samuel's finally healthy. He's playing a lot. And uh, the rookie that they drafted to, he scored two touchdowns in, in, in the first week. And it's like, they have some talent there. But I think there's more issues in Washington, as everyone is well aware of, with all the craziness that happens with Dan Schneider and, and the organization. But to me, I just think the surprise is, dude, I used to argue with so many of my buddies that are Cowboy fans, like, yo, Wentz is better than Dak. And like the moment it was the summer before, like shit hit the fan. It's like that take is horrible. <laughs> Get rid of that shit. Never bring it up. But to me, they, he's been the biggest letdown, dude. No, I I agree. I, I in terms of player wise, I couldn't think of someone off the top of my head. That, I mean, honestly, Jonathan Taylor has been somewhat of a letdown, but he's not a nice one. Nowhere near as big as Carson Wentz. But yeah, I but mean, he was the number one pick in fantasy, right? Yeah, he, but Taylor, someone in the in the Discord for for VM. Uh, Jordan Riley he's actually one of the Patreons uh, Patreon members we shout out he's like dude what am I doing with Jonathan Taylor like do, do I panic do I try to trade it I'm like the thing that sucks about a guy like Taylor is yeah he does catch passes out the backfield here and there but they gotta be playing with a lead in order for him to like be productive and I just don't know how many games they're gonna play with a lead because they're just not moving the ball and I'll stand by it, dude. I think Michael Pittman is their most valuable offensive player because when he's not in, you saw how bad it was against Jacksonville when he sat that game. They couldn't move the ball at all because everyone else behind them is just not that good. So it's interesting, man. Carson Wentz uh, and, and the answer that you gave too, uh, I found fascinating with the Colts. I'm going to throw a wrinkle. Uh-oh. I asked you to, who's your MVP right now, uh-huh. right? I'll let you tell me who you think your MVP is, but. From mine, I'm not going to give you a quarterback. Because okay. we know MVP is a quarterback award, right? The only one to win in the last, I think, 15 years was Adrian Peterson. The year that he did everything else, it's like 11 straight up in quarterbacks. If you weren't picking a quarterback, who do you think is the MVP through the first four games? Ooh, that's a… Uh... Do you want me to give you mine? Yeah, while yeah, you go think ahead. Of it? Yeah, yeah. All right. Since it's my show, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to give you two guys. Okay. All right. One is Nick Chubb. Okay. Nick Chubb is, has had 100 yards or more in every single one of his games. He scored multiple touchdowns. Uh, hold on. I have to refresh this page as we're looking at it. But is he not the be-all, end-all for this Cleveland Browns team? Like, he's averaging yeah. over five yards per carry, and it would be like a career high for, like, any other running back. But this dude does it year in, year out. His numbers are just through the roof every single year. He's just a beast. And it's like, they still don't really unleash him. Because it is sort of a, he dominates the touches, but Kareem Hunt is out there often. And I know there's always a discussion like in daily fantasy circles, like, ah, oh, do I pay $88,000 for Nick Chubb and my daily fantasy lineup and whatnot? But look, he's averaging 6.2 yards per carry. Oh, sorry, that's receiving, my bad. He's averaging 5.7 yards per carry. Last year, 5.5. The year before that, 5.6. 2019, five years. Like, over five yards. He's 
in territory with Jamal Charles, who has like the highest yards per carry average like in NFL history. This dude is just doing it no matter what. Like no Watson, no problem, dude. Like just give this guy the ball 20 times. He's going to make shit happen. The offensive line is one of the better run blocking offensive lines per PFF and all, you know, football outsiders, all these advanced analytic places. But how bad would they be if he wasn't out there right now? And they're exceeding expectations, I feel like, because they don't have Watson. But just what he means to this team right now, for me, it'd be Nick Chubb. Yeah, it's it's hard to argue with that uh, based off, like, I, I know they had a favorable schedule to start the year, but it wouldn't have been surprising if they had lost some of the games that they did, right? And he has just been, he's been the offense for his team. So I don't hate that call. You said you had a second one, but I wasn't sure if you were going to go into it. So I don't know, like, I know he's only had two really good games, but they've been two of the like games that we've seen. And so it's tough not to say, Hey, Justin Jefferson's on his way to winning offense player of the year. Therefore, like if there's a non quarterback argument for MVP, like how is that not Justin Jefferson? Because, you know, in the London game with everybody's watching yesterday morning, like he, he, he basically won them that game. He sets up the game winning field goal there. Uh, and then obviously the first game of the year against the Packers, untouchable, unguardable. Like he was just, he went off. And I know he had two, down games by his standards in between that. But like the two most important games for the Vikings, I mean, he's the reason why they won them. So it's tough not to just say, hey, Justin Jefferson, because we're, we're dealing with a small sample size here, but he's just been different already to start the year. And I know he was both our picks to win offense player of the year. He was everyone's pick. Like he's just, he's just a stud. Yeah. The thing that's interesting about him in particular and the wide receiver position is that it's the most unique position I feel like in sports because it's the only position that your success is determined by two other people. It's the offensive line blocking for the quarterback, and then the quarterback has to get you the ball. So when you're not productive, it's not you. It's the quarterback just can't get you to rock. And that's what you saw in week two and week three. Kirk Cousins just wasn't able to get him the ball. It wasn't that he wasn't open or that, oh, it's just one of those days like Deontay Johnson just has four drops in the game. It's like, nah, this dude just wasn't getting the chances. And the, the last thing about the wide receiver position, it's so isolating too. Like they're the first ones to break the huddle. They're all they're the furthest away from the ball. And I, for me to get paid, for me to get all these accolades, for me to be successful, I need two other things to happen well mm. in order for me to flourish. So I don't know if I would say Justin Jefferson, he has fried the, the two corners that he's gone up against. Like he was lighting up Lattimore he was lighting up Jair Alexander anytime he was in coverage. And then the other games, it's just like Kirk wasn't able to get Kirk on the ball. Kirk a billion interceptable balls against yeah. the Eagles. Yeah. yeah. The other guy that I was going to ma- mention, and I think right now he might be offensive player of the year, Saquon Barkley. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. Dude, I didn't even think a, about that. That's yeah, the yeah. offense. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the offense That's a right no-brainer. Now. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. He leads the league in rushing. If he's not out there, the team is an abomination, like without a doubt. 463 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. He's had a long of 68 yards. He's had four 20-yard rushes. Only Nick Chubb has more 20-yard rushes than him. Him and Rashad Penny have the same amount. And to me, it's just like when you're you're looking at like what they mean to their rosters right now, it's Barkley and Chubb. So those would be the ones that non-quarterbacks that I would pick. But if it had to be, like, who's, like, your, your legit one? Yeah, and I know you you kind of threw water on the take uh, earlier in the show already, but, like, if the season ended today, Jalen Hurts is winning the MVP award. Like, 
it, I understand maybe his stats aren't up to like the guys that we are used to, but we this the, this award is not given to the guy with the best stats. This award is given based off the narrative and the conversation that we create around the season of who the story of the season is. Seven of the last nine MVP winners have been on teams with the number one seed. Mm. The Eagles have an inside track to the number one seed. They're 4-0 right now. Like, and also, he's got the narrative going with him. The fact that, you know, you remember the playoff game last year? Like, there was some little rumblings of like, hey, maybe they should, when the Eagles were down, like, maybe they should put in Gardner Minshew. Like, that was the same thing they said about Lamar Jackson and Joe Flacco when they got to their first playoff game as well. The next year, Lamar wins it because they take the league by storm and they win a bunch of games. Look at the Eagles' schedule. As we've already mentioned before, they got a lot of layups. This team has such a favorable schedule. They're going to win a lot of games. And they have the inside track, the number one seed. So it's going to be hard for Jalen Hurts not to be in the MVP conversation. Uh, and anybody who is going to win the number one seed in the NFC is probably going to have a very good case for it uh, because AFC is going to like eat each other up, I, yeah. th- I think, to some extent. Uh, unless it's Josh Howe and Patrick Holmes that just kind of light the league on fire and win that number one seed. Like, say... Uh, Joe Burrow, the Bengals, or the Ravens, or someone like that gets the number one seed. I think Jalen Hurts is going to have a very good case against that. I wholeheartedly disagree. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> you know why? As I'm looking at the numbers right now, I have a problem with Joe Flacco having more passing touchdowns than him, and he's played one less game. <laughs> like, to me, that, that's, hilarious, that's, yeah. that, that's a little upsetting. And Davis Mills has more passing touchdowns. But we than understand him. that stats don't matter in this, this award. Like, <laughs> yeah, but so. You're saying about him being the one seed, and I agree because that's historically that's what that's what it is, right? Like you need to be a one or two seed for the most part for you to win it. Um, but if if he doesn't have the stats to back that up as well, it's going to be hard, especially when you're looking at other guys. Like Kansas City has a roadmap to the one seed, so does Josh Allen. For sure, yeah. So like Mahomes and Josh Allen are going to put up the numbers, and they're going to be a one seed. So Jalen Hurts got to start throwing some touchdowns too. And I know he has a bunch on the ground already. And he's a very unique quarterback. But you got to throw some touchdowns. Well, I don't actually have a bet on Jalen Hurts for the MVP. So I'm okay with him not winning the MVP. I just think, like, I know how the, these voters work. They like to look back at the season and be like, what was the story of the season? Like, what are we going to do? And, like, if the Eagles come out of nowhere, come out of nowhere, quotation marks, uh, and, and get the number one seed in the NFC. Like he's going to be a candidate. Uh, whether or not he deserves to win is a whole different story. Um, but it just feels like we we like to give the MVP award to someone who exceeds our expectations from a team point standpoint and a player standpoint. And Jalen Hurts fits that bill in a lot of ways. Defensive player of the year. You didn't tell it, me yours, by the way. What my MVP? Of quarterback. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's Mahomes. Okay. Yeah, eleven touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, you talk about narratives, right? Yeah. He don't got Tyreek no more. And he's doing it with all these new pieces for the most part outside of Kelsey. And Hardman is, I mean, dude, I, I'm 0 for 4 on Hardman anytime touchdowns. Like, <laughs> and they're not even close. Like, dude's playing like six snaps of a game. I'm like, I keep seeing plus 320, plus 350. It's just going to keep going up and up. And I know what's going to happen. I'm not going to bet him one week because I'm going to be fed up. I'm going to be 0-6. Anytime TDs, and then he's going to go out there and score a touchdown. I'm going to be so mad if Mahomes wins the MVP or the Chiefs win the Super Bowl this year because I had both bets at really good odds last year. There's the lowest point you could get on both wagers and did not come through on either way. I thought they both were going to have good chances at some point in the season. So I'm going to be very upset when one of those things happens. Defensive player of the year, I think it's it's Parsons, and there's not much to say to that, right? Yeah, that's what also what I put. I like just talking about how the, how the Cowboys are still competitive without Dak Prescott alone is enough of a narrative for him. 
Yeah, and he's just been wrecking games left and right. He's he's unbelievable. Uh, all right, we'll end the show with this, man. Rookie of the year. Give me your offensive and your defensive. Yeah, I went with the the. I think they're the two favorites now, currently at Caesar Sportsbook. Chris Olave for the Saints. Uh, I think that really says how open this market really is because, like, I I didn't understand why he was the favorite. Uh, but he's caught 21 balls for 335 yards and a touchdown. Uh, but I think this is a very good market to attack right now. Like, if you think like Kenny Pickett and the Steelers are going to do something, like he's got like seven to one, eight to one odds right now. Like, there's a chance. Like, go get it. Or George Pickens even. Like, I just this is a market I, I would attack if if you're looking at the futures right now. As for defense rookie of the year, I think Devin Lloyd's a no no brainer right now. Like the Jaguars picked someone number one overall, and then he is dominating from a stats standpoint. Uh, he is he is the kind of the runaway favorite at this point at, at, at Caesar Sportsbook at plus two fifty. Uh, so I I think that one is less likely. I'm I'm less excited about attacking, but like the offensive rookie of the year, like I think it's anyone's. Wow, that's so that's not who I had for defensive man. Really? Yeah, I think the guy that's impressed me the most has been Gardner on the Jets. Oh, it's so tough to win it as a corner. Yeah, he needs an interception. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not. He's probably Lloyd, not going to win. Lloyd has but, interceptions. He's a linebacker. Yo, he play, he, he's been locking up some guys. Yeah. You, I, you, don't, you don't like that one? It's, it's so tough to win as a secondary. Like, it's so, I don't even remember the last time. Like, you have to. You it's, have it to it has, it, I think seven of the last 10 have been edge rusher, pass rusher kind of guys because yeah, yeah. you get the sacks. But he seems to be an alpha, man. He seems to be a guy that goes, he wants to match up. He's not avoiding it. Like he he played really well against Jamar Chase a couple of weeks ago. I, I think I think he's a name to definitely watch out for. Listen, I I'm not going to fight too much about this because I actually didn't care about who won the Rookie of the Year awards after four weeks. But it, it's fine. I, I think that was a good call. I just think like it's going to be tough for him to win the award. And, and I'm staying with Drake London. He was my pick coming into the year yeah, too, and I think it's he, he's been he's been balling. It's him and Olave right now, and then creeping up is Damian Pierce. Pickens, I, I think, still needs to start producing a little bit more. But uh, I think Romeo Dobbs is interesting too, man. Like, Rodgers Rogers is going to him. And he, yesterday, he should have had the game-winning touchdown in regulation. But he just didn't maintain it. Which also, that's the last thing, right? Like, the catch stuff. It's so weird. Like, I still, uh, I'm 31 years old. I still don't know what a catch is in, in the NFL. Uh, yeah, I, there's a lot of things like that with football in particular, right? They're targeting in college, the catch at both levels. Like, it's just, there's things that we 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 are still confused by to this day. Uh, and we spend a lot of time talking about because the, they'll show replay and slow motion and all the time. And we have no idea what it is. It's never consistent. It's just weird. Like, if I was to throw you something right now and you caught it, I'd be like, hey, nice catch. I didn't need you to maintain possession and to turn and give me a football move. Like, it's just... I don't know, man. It's just weird, like the whole catching stuff. It just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, he he didn't maintain possession throughout, but he did get two feet down, and then when he hit the ground, that's when the ball came out. It's just weird. And it was funny because they had Romo on that call, yeah. and they were asking him about that. He's like, ah, I'm familiar, man. Something about this grass <laughs> over here in Lambeau. Shane, this was awesome, man. I appreciate you coming in. Tell the people where they can find you, your content, all the stuff that you're working on, your articles. The floor is yours. Plug away. Yeah, so the easiest way to find me, obviously, is on Twitter, at sjacksonbet. Uh, but you can find all my articles at shawlocal.com slash bet. All that content is for free uh, on our website. And then, yeah, I track all my plays through Action Network at jacksonshane3. So if you wanted to tail me, you can do that as well. So different avenues there, but Twitter is where I would start, at sjacksonbet. 
Dude, I'm so pissed with Action Network because I linked my my books back home. It was like FanDuel, uh, BetMGM, and DraftKings. And then when I linked it, all like the bets that I was tracking beforehand all got like deleted. Oh, no. So And I was using Action Network from like when it first popped off because I've met Chad Millman a bunch of times and like he's been really kind to me and I've always been a fan of his content and his work. So when I got on Action Network, I'm tracking all this stuff. It was like 195 and 160 against the spread. All my futures since like 2018 also just all gone. And then I got logged on my my account. I don't know what my password is. Oh, no. <laughs> I was having this conversation with someone the other day. It's like, dude, how many passwords do you like cycle through? And it was like, uh, I like the same three, four for everything. And then it just so happens not to be one of the three, four. <laughs> so, yeah, I got I to gotta make a new one. I got to come up with a new name for the Action Network stuff. But... At Nick Deyes, 10 is you can find me on social media, all social media. Check out the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Veterans Minimum. You could watch the whole podcast there. And again, at Veterans Minimum, all social media and veteransminimum.com. We'll catch you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.